Um, really enjoy being with you today. Uh, missed you last Sunday. I was up in Yuba City preaching at a church uh, that uh, I've been privileged to help get started in Yuba City, and it was just really amazing to, to, to be standing there. I had been working with the pastor for a long time, but hadn't actually been to the church, and to be looking out, and there were just all these people, and this church is happening that wasn't there before. It's just such a beautiful thing to see God's faithfulness and, and glory in that. And I was so thankful, as always, for Andrew Franklin and um, his filling the, the pulpit here and, and preaching. And, and um, I did, though, want to just clean up one thing from last week uh, that Andrew said. Uh, <laughs> he looked really nervous all of a sudden. Um, so, you know, there was the incident of the cafe and the, the person with the gun in the cafe. You, if you were here last week, Andrew told the story that he was sitting in a cafe and somebody walked in with a gun and pointed it, and everybody had to get under, and this just happened recently, everybody in Oakland, everybody had to get under the tables, and, uh, and then they had to put their wallets and things on top of the table. And Andrew made a point out of that, and then he just left the story hanging there, right? And so all of us, our beloved little Andrew, we have no idea what happened in the rest of that story. I know all of you left last week just totally unfulfilled, wondering... You know, what happened? You know, was it, was it like David and Goliath, you know? Did, did Andrew fashion a sling out of the nearby restaurant towel and, 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 and shoot a coffee bean into the guy? Uh, you know, was it like Samson? Did Andrew stand up and, and push the cafe walls out and the thing came crashing down on the thief? You know, or was it like Jesus where he just slipped away amidst the crowd, you know? What happened to Andrew? You've all been dying to know. Uh, and so, uh, let me just fill in, Andrew did get out of the cafe, um, so in case you're wondering, um, he made it out of the cafe, and uh, actually, he did report, and I, I'm sure he's going to, this is going to come up, this is the kind of story that will come up again in preaching, I'm sure, so he will tell the full story, but um, he did report that he felt really the hand of the Lord on him and his friend there as they were hiding under the table, and I think attention just wasn't drawn towards them, and the whole thing ended, and the guy went running out. He can tell the rest of the details um, of that, and, and nobody was hurt, nobody was shot, you know, a couple of laptops were stolen in the process, um, and then Andrew reported, too, that, that it didn't go so well for the thief, because as they were walking out afterwards, they saw a car crashed uh, with a, a, a big smash in the dashboard, and they, or in the window, and they found out that that was, in fact, the thief, and then they heard through some other friends that he crashed the car after stealing the laptops, went running down uh, the street and over a fence, and then somebody else saw him, Andrew would tell the details, and he ended up dropping the laptops. And then, so, so basically, he, 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 he lost his car, dropped the laptops, and ended up with a criminal record uh, for this excursion that he was on. So, which leads us to our topic for today, which is wisdom. We're going to talk about wisdom today. And uh, if you are a thief, that is how not to be wise in your thievery. Um, so you have examples like that. When we talk about wisdom, you've got examples like that of people who, you know, obviously are not behaving wisely. And then you've got the opposite. You've all had those opportunities to see somebody who just behaves in an incredibly wise way. And, and you just sort of sit there and go, oh, I wish I could have the, the right word like that or, or do the right thing in the right, the right moment. Um, and you just wish for that kind of wisdom. I think of Solomon, you know, King Solomon and and there were two women, and they, they were living in the same house, and they each had a child, and one, of the, one child died, 
And so then there became a, a dispute because they were both claiming to have the other child, and they brought the child to Solomon, and they're both saying, this child is, belongs to me. And the other woman's saying, no, this child belongs, belongs to me. And Solomon said, well, bring me a sword. And they brought him a sword, and he said, we'll cut the child in half and, and give you each half the child. And the one woman said, okay, fine, great, because then we'll neither one. And the other one said, no, she can have the child. It's her child. And then Solomon said, well, obviously, this is the true mother of this child. And so you look at that and you go, oh, I wish in the difficult moments of my life I had that kind of wisdom to be able to pierce through and understand and make good decisions. Um, And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning, that kind of wisdom to handle difficult situations. Would you open up to Ecclesiastes 8? Ecclesiastes 8, starting in verse 1. If you need a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. We would love to give you a Bible so you can follow along in the text. In that particular Bible, it's page 473, 473, Ecclesiastes 8, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. It talks about wisdom, and there's going to be a twist here that we'll look at towards the middle um, about wisdom, maybe something we didn't expect. Verse 1, who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. Wisdom is so good. I say, he's giving us an example, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him, or that could be translated because of your oath to the king. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know that what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit, or that could be translated wind, to control the wind, or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. If you're an underliner, you can underline that verse in your, your Bible. But verse 13, it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Therefore, is, there is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart 
to know wisdom, and here's the twist, and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. The first thing I want to say about this text is that it's an encouragement to us to use wisdom. Go ahead and use wisdom in your life. Apply wisdom to your life. Wisdom is so good. There's so much in this Bible, this, the Word of God about wisdom, and you can plumb the depths day after day for your entire life, and you will continually draw up new bits of wisdom that will apply to your, your, your life. I've been skimming through one of my old Bibles, looking at all my highlights and underlinings, and, and as I go through it, I see verses that I'd forgotten or I hadn't ever really seen in the particular light before, and I go, oh man, there's so much wisdom there. I wish I would have remembered that in that choice moment when I needed that little bit of wisdom. I need to absorb more of Scripture because I want that wisdom to be coursing through my veins, and I want to come out of me whenever I have need of it. There's so much wisdom. is so good. It does what the verses say. It makes a man's face or a woman's face shine, and the hardness in a person's face melts away when there is wisdom beneath it. The face is kind of an index of a person's feelings, and so a wise person will have that manifest on their face. And then the teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, tells us uh, an example of how you might use wisdom. Uh, and it's kind of a workplace for us if we translate this into our current setting and be like, you know, how do you deal with the people in authority over you? Maybe your bosses. He's talking about how do you handle the king and how do you apply wisdom to your relationship with the king? And he has several quick, um, quick little uh, suggestions for us. First of all, follow your leader. If, you, if you're under a king and you made an oath to a king, then, then follow, do what he says. You made an oath. Now, we don't make an oath to our, uh, our leaders and our author, those in authority over us. But I think it is true that oftentimes when we're trying to find a job or uh, s- something similar, um, we pray. We say, Lord, if you would just give me this opportunity, if you just give me this job or get me into this school or, or whatever it is that we're longing for, we pray. We ask God to make it happen. Uh, And then we thank God. Oh, thank you that you got me this job. Thank you that you brought me to this place. Uh, And then after a little while, we go on and, and, and things don't turn out like we expected them to. And we start to turn sour towards the thing that we've been given. And we forget that this was what God gave to us. We're, we're there because of God. And we forget and we turn sour. And then maybe that begins to infect our relationship with our superiors and those who are over us. And wisdom is to remind, remember, to remind yourself that, that God is over it and that you are under this person and that you ought to treat them uh, well. You ought to, to come under their authority. Uh, but then in kind of contrast to that, he says, don't be hasty when you leave the presence of the king. In other words, don't be so fearful and so cowering and so skittish that you don't, you don't, you don't sit in front of the king for the time that you need to. You know, don't, 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 don't be so fearful. I had my, my grandfather, when he got older, he became sort of one of those people who sort of gave off the impression that he was apologetic for taking up space in the, in the world, Right? And, and so the more he tried to get out of the way, it was almost like the more he got in the way. It was very sad 
to watch, right? Because he kept trying to apologize and get out of the way. And you want to just say, look, it's okay. You know, you're, you're, you're causing more trouble by, by trying to not be problematic than you would if you just did what you need to do. And sometimes when we're meeting with people who are in authority over us, we have that tendency to be, to be too fearful. And he's saying, don't be so too fearful. Take up your space. But then also he says, don't take a stand for a bad cause when you're before the king or when you're before those in authority over you. Make sure that whatever cause you're standing for is a hill worth dying on. Don't dig in your heels um, because the king wields tremendous authority. And uh, if you dig in your heels, um, you'll end up on the wrong side of that. Uh, and so he says this is a way that wisdom plays itself out, itself out, for example, in relationship to authority. It's a gift from God to be wise and to treat your relationships with wisdom, to apply wisdom, to navigate the tricky parts of this world. And he gives us this example of the king, but we could look at lot, lots of different examples. We could have um, the example of applying wisdom to all areas of life, right? If you're married, we need to apply wisdom to how we handle our marriage. And there's lots of wisdom out there, a lot of people who have wisdom that we can go to and talk to. If you are a parent, you can apply wisdom to the skill of parenting. And some of us need to take on that task because we're in a difficult position with our parenting and we need to know what is we should be doing and how we could be doing it better. And so there's wisdom out there. And God is saying, yes, use wisdom. Wisdom is good. Some of us need to apply wisdom to our finances because we're struggling uh, financially and we're maybe not making good decisions. We're wasting a lot of money on things that we shouldn't be wasting on. We feel like it's out of control. Maybe it's bringing tension into our marriage. And, and we need to apply wisdom into how we handle our finances. And, and the teacher is saying wisdom is good. Seize wisdom, grow in wisdom, learn good principles, learn how to do life, learn what people do who are successful. When we gather together as a church, there are principles of wisdom about how we're organized and what we do together. And over this last little while, I've been learning some things about some new ways for us to organize as we grow and how we can develop leaders. And I'm excited to see how applying that wisdom is going to change the way that we function as a church. And so I want to invite you this morning... Are you somebody who needs wisdom, needs more wisdom in your life? Is there an area that maybe the Holy Spirit is pressing in on right now saying, you know, you're not really handling this particular area with the kind of wisdom that you could be applying to it? And so the Holy Spirit maybe is pressing in on you saying, um, maybe you need to take some time and learn and grow in this particular area area of your life so that you can apply wisdom to it because you, you need that wisdom. You need the wisdom to live. And, and why does that matter? Because we're stewards, right, of what we've been given. We're stewards of all that we have. And if we squander it carelessly and thoughtlessly, and I don't just mean our finances, I mean our time, our, the vision for our life, our goals, um, our families, our kids, you know, our, our season of singleness, if that's what we're in. We're stewards of all these things. And, and we're called to steward them well, not just for self-serving needs, but so that we can be a blessing to others. So that we can be a blessing to others. And so we need that kind of wisdom. And so maybe this morning, as the teacher brings up this concept of wisdom, the Holy Spirit's pressing in on your heart some area of life where you need to discover more wisdom. And I want to invite you to take that on, to make that part of this week. Uh, how do you do that? Well, you, you, first of all, you pray, right? You, Solomon 
prayed, and God was so thankful that he didn't pray for riches and wealth and all. He prayed for wisdom, and God gave him an extra measure of wisdom. And so if you need wisdom, if you're in a difficult space and you need wisdom, pray, ask God, God, I need wisdom for how to handle this situation. Would you please show me? So we start with prayer, and just like the early church, then we go to the teaching of Scripture, to the apostles, right? And we ask, what does the Bible say about this particular topic? And, and, and we do that together in home groups. And, we, you know, and it's so good if you're in a home group and you, and you just say, hey, everybody, I'm struggling with this particular thing. Anybody have any scriptures that speak into this that you could point me to? You know, nowadays we can go on the Internet and go on Bible Gateway and we can type in any term that we want and we can search all the scriptures on that particular subject so that we can pull out the wisdom. So maybe that's one of the ways that you can grow in wisdom. Uh, And then we do, we gather in community together and we talk and and there's people in our community who've already been through what you are going through and they've experienced it. And for you to grow in wisdom is to say to them, what did you learn? Can you teach me so that I don't have to go through it in the same way as you? Can you show me what you learned and where did you learn it? And and we can learn from sharing books that we're reading. And um, I just was talking to one of the pastors that I've been been coaching and, and, and pointed him to a particular book. And he wrote back an hour later, he said, I already finished the first chapter. I'm so excited. You know, I'm seeing some clarity on this particular issue with which I'm struggling. Some of you are on Goodreads, I know, because we're friends on Goodreads. If you don't know what Goodreads is, it's like Facebook for librarians. So, I mean, what could be better than that, right? Facebook for librarians. It's, it's sort of this, this book, this, this website where... You know, you keep track of, of good books, and people rate books, and, you know, you friend people. And I love it because I friend people that I respect and know, and then I get to see what they're reading and see what they say about particular books, and it helps me to choose my next book, uh, and, and, and hopefully it's a good one, and then I get to share books with people. Um, it's great. So you should all get on Goodreads, and we're going to share the books that we're finding helpful with each other so we can grow in wisdom. And then we grow in wisdom when we encounter God in worship like we did this morning and we do when we gather together on Sundays because there's something refocusing about our being together. Um, It keeps our mind on what's most important. And so all of these are ways to grow in wisdom. And the teacher is saying, look, grow in wisdom. Don't mess around. There's lots of stuff out there. There's, There's lots of ways to do life that that, that are better than maybe what you are doing and, and you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. So grow, in, grow in wisdom. Take it on. It will be good. Apply wisdom in your life. But then it goes to another point. While we're called to become wise and to grow in wisdom and to apply the principles that we know will work in this life, we need to be careful about wisdom. The teacher says, wisdom is a good thing, but wisdom is not an ultimate thing, is what the teacher says. So I want to say, first of all, use wisdom, but then the second part of that is, but use it wisely. And I know that sounds a little goofy, but, but I want to say it that way so you remember. Use wisdom, but use it wisely. Don't make wisdom an ultimate thing. Pursue it, apply it to life, but understand that wisdom has limitations, there are four ways in which wisdom, four things that wisdom can't explain, according to the teacher here. He says, the wind. We can't explain the wind by, by wisdom and the way it blows and how it moves. One of my favorite bike rides is to go out the Briones Reservoir, and you can go either direction. It's a loop. 
and I check on my phone to see which way the wind is blowing. And, and I tell you, every time, I think it's because there's canyons and everything, the flags on the little map are going in every which way. And I never know which way the wind is blowing. And even if I can tell from that map, I get out there, and nine times out of ten, I've chosen to go the wrong way, so I'm 30 miles in a headwind all the way around the thing. Right? We, can, the wisdom, we haven't been able to figure out the wind, even. Right? But what does he say also, in addition to that? We can't figure out the wind through wisdom. We can't figure out uh, death. Who by wisdom has ever been able to explain or, or master death? It can't be done. Or war. You say, well, that was in the day, you know, when there was lots of battle. But we live in the day where there's lots of war still, right? For all the wisdom and the experience that we've gathered, we can't seem to master war. It can't be done. And then lastly, wickedness. All the wickedness in the world. Um, we think about the... the, the Things that have been happening in Paris recently, and what, how does wisdom make sense out of that? You know, or even just the cafe that Andrew Franklin was in, and suddenly somebody comes up with a gun and holds everybody up. And how does wisdom make sense of that kind of wickedness which is in the world? Or at the very end of verse nine, when a man had power over a man to his hurt. So in other words, somebody who has power oftentimes uses that against others. Um, and so you think of the horrible examples throughout history. You know, how does wisdom explain Hitler? or some of the other tragedies that have occurred in the world when somebody gets power. Wisdom has limitations. And there's one thing it can't reverse. It can't reverse injustice. Verse 14, there is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. So people doing good things, and they get what the bad people should get. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. How does wisdom make sense out of that? The good people experience the bad stuff. The bad people experience the good stuff. See, there are limitations. Wisdom is good. Pursue it. It's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. There are limitations to wisdom. Verse 16 and 17, verses 16 and 17 really then drive this home. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that man, and if you're, un, if you're underlining your Bible, cannot find out. This little phrase three times in these next verses, cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, reading every book that you can. I have a friend who read 60 books last year. I was really impressed with that, right? Um, but then you're reminded um, uh, did that make life perfect? No, right? Because there's, there's, there's something beyond. No matter how many books we read, there is still the inexplicable. So no matter how much we seek, and then the last part, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Three times that phrase happens, cannot find it out. There are limits to wisdom, to what we can know in this life, in this world. Even though wisdom is good, it's a good thing, it's not an ultimate thing. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, we worship and follow and serve under a very big God, bigger than our finite minds can begin to comprehend. 
And because of that, our wisdom will never get us there. We'll never master. There are limits to wisdom. So in the midst of that, and, and, and some of us are probably in the midst of experiencing the real challenge of this, you know, there's somebody in your workplace who's wicked and is getting pushed ahead, you know, to use the language in, that the teacher uses, and, and elevated and patted on the back and more money, and, and you're watching this, and here you're trying to be faithful, do the right thing, you know, you're following the right course and acting honestly, and, 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 and you're missing out, right? You, you apply that across the board in lots of different ways. So how do we live in the midst of a world where where it seems like wisdom should be able to master this world, but it doesn't oftentimes. How do we live in the midst of that kind of... And and the teacher gives us a couple of handles. First of all, he says, fear God. Here's what you do amidst a world like that, where where wisdom is good, but, but not ultimate. You fear God. Walk, in other words, that's a way of saying, walk in relationship to Him. To fear God is, is to live with God's presence ever before you. Okay, it's to, to use the language of the teacher, it's to look beyond the sun, S-U-N, the horizon of just this world, to realize there's an eternal sort of spiritual realm that is over and above beyond all that we see. And to, to keep your mind focused in that realm, to, to walk with God daily, to fear Him, to do life with God. Verse 12, Those, a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. I love this. I know that it will be well with those who fear God. This is a man who has not met Jesus yet, right? This is before Jesus came. And I love the faith exhibited. It just, he knows that this God, will, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he'll, it will, he'll take care of things. That's the level of trust. I don't know how he'll do it, but he'll take care of things. And I'm going to entrust myself. I love that faith. Now, we live on the other side of the coming of Jesus Christ, where God has demonstrated his goodness in a whole new way through Jesus Christ, going to the cross, offering himself a living sacrifice to atone for our sins, to bring us back into right relationship with the Father. So we know a lot. We have all the more reason to have faith. Because then that Jesus, when he died, he was raised from the dead. Faith, right? We have all the reason to have faith. Here the teacher admonishes towards faith. He doesn't even have that. We've got that. So, so we should have faith that this God who would go to the extent of giving his son, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of the messiness that happens in this world. So fear God. And then the second thing he says, the second handle he gives us in the midst of the chaos of this world, fear God and then be joyful. Joy. This is the second one, verse 15. And I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And so we're to look beyond the horizon in trust of the God who's over it all, and we don't know how it's going to work out, but he's going to be faithful. And we're to look under the horizon in gratitude in what he has done and what we have and what he's given to us and how he's taken care of us and his love in the simple small things, eating, he says, and in drinking, to find joy in those is the pathway to surviving the topsy-turvy nature of this world. You know, whenever you get anxious, just 
One of the things that we always talk about is to pray, and that's good. And, and, and Philippians tells us we should pray when we get anxious. Another thing we can do that the teacher's teaching us is when you get anxious, start thanking God for the small things. When you're anxious, start thanking God for the small things. The breath in my lungs. You know, the shoes on my feet. The, the roof over my head. The food in my belly. The movement of my my hand, whatever, the small things. And as you pile up reasons for thankfulness, then you will, what will happen is your heart will be drawn beyond the horizon into trust into the God who is over it all. So, so fear God and be joyful. Those are the two things that we're given for navigating the tricky waters of this world. I was really excited uh, for this new year because in the end of last year, I felt incredibly scattered. We had our 10th anniversary as a church, which was a big event that we had to plan for, and it was so beautiful. Probably still one of my favorite days of worship ever uh, was that day. So it was just great. But we also had this big conference that we were doing, and then uh, in the middle of that, I was asked to speak, present at another conference in L.A., and so this was all within like a three-week span. And then right before that was my 20th wedding anniversary. So right before all that stuff happens, I'm pulled out and for a week, which was great, the right thing to do, but it did make things Difficult, And so I came into this new year thinking, I just want to settle down, get some calm. I went to Kansas City to this little conference and, and learned about church organization and leadership development. And I came back and I thought, oh, this is so good. I've got pacing going on. You know, I'm applying the right principles. In the midst of all this, this sort of anxiety started to grow up in me. I thought I shouldn't be, I should have been anxious in November and December, you know, but I shouldn't be anxious now. And then I opened this text on Wednesday morning, and I started to read it, and it just leapt off the page. I was putting my confidence in the principles and the wisdom that I was learning, and, and, and not in something greater. And I was reminded that, that wisdom is good, but it's not an ultimate thing. And we live in the land of wisdom, right? We live in the land of wisdom. Um, lots of smart people in this area, thought a lot about things, studied a lot about things, and that wisdom can be a blinding factor in our relationship with God, because we know the right principles, we know how to do life, we know how to make it happen in a sense, and so we start to idolize principles and ideas, and we forget that the only ultimate thing is not a thing, but a person, Jesus Christ. The, the ultimate thing is not a thing at all. The ultimate thing is a person. And when you're in relationship with God, it's a crazy adventure. And there's twists and turns that you don't expect. And, and your eyes have to be open to it. And you just can't, you just can't manufacture perfection. You've got to follow and live and walk with God. Jesus knew this so well. He talked about the limits of wisdom and the importance of this relationship. There was a wise man that came to Jesus named Nicodemus, and he was a teacher. So he, was a, he knew all, he knew everything. He was, he was way up high. He was filled with wisdom, and he's a smart man, and, and he had a conversation with Jesus, and, and here's what happened. Rabbi, he said, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's sort of flattering him, Jesus, a little bit, um, trying to get some get some new principles out of him, like, can you give me an advanced copy of your next Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, so that I can read it and 
be ahead of everybody else, and I'll review it for you on Goodreads and um, all of that. But Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's the Nicodemus, the wise man, said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, and that's the word for wind too, so we're bringing these together. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, spirit, blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? The wise man says, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? You see, you can have all kinds of wisdom and still not know. And Nicodemus didn't know. And I hope, I hope and pray that as a congregation, we pursue wisdom. Let's teach each other. Let's show each other how to do life. But at the end of the day, I also hope we understand that there is a wind that blows from the Holy Spirit and that in order for us to really see transformation and to, to, to navigate the, the, the trickiness of this world, we've got to be in tune with that. So I hope that we're meeting together to understand wisdom, but I also hope that we are praying together to ask God to intervene in our lives and do things that we couldn't imagine. I want to, it's been a dream ever since this church started that at, at, during the communion time at the prayer corner, there would be tons of people back there just asking and pleading with God to, to intervene in life. I've applied every principle that I can know. And it's still, it's not changing. What I need now, Holy Spirit, is for you to blow through my life and transform this thing that I haven't been able to change. And to see people with PhDs, you know, and wise people, people who are older, who have mastered life and seemingly have it all figured out, bending the knee and pleading for God to intervene. Because our wisdom will only take us so far. And for us to be continually striving to align our lives with the purposes of God, to remain sensitive to the Spirit. We might know the principles of life and how to do things well, but to walk with this sort of, this sort of ear to the horizon all the time, with one glance always looking over the shoulder of this earth to the eternal to wonder, God, are you doing something that I have missed? Can, I, can, can you bring me in and help me to see it? so that I can be sensitive and get on board with you and do what you're doing in this world. That's the posture that the teacher is calling us to. God will surprise us when we live in that way. He will surprise us. It's more than principles of wisdom. It's about relationship. So I just want to invite you this morning, if wisdom has left you short, then, then pursue more wisdom good. But I also want to invite you into the journey of relationship with a living God who has the capacity to see beyond the wisdom of this world. I want to invite you, if you for the very first time are encountering this God and you're hungering 
for the eternal. I want to invite you by faith into relationship with this God who entered into this world, Jesus Christ, lived among us, died on the cross, an atoning sacrifice for us, that our sins might be forgiven. We might be reconciled to the Father. And then when He was raised from the dead and then He was raised into heaven, He poured out the Holy Spirit on us so that that God is in our midst. And when we're cleansed from sin, the Holy Spirit enters us. If that's something that you want this morning and you don't have that, then I invite you to place your trust in Jesus Christ, to come to Him in faith. You can come forward when we do communion, take communion. That would be a wonderful way to testify to the world, I am now a believer in Jesus Christ. Those of you who've who've come to Jesus 50 times, 50,000 times, and you're caught in the trap of pursuing wisdom and trying to pursue comfort in life and perfection through knowledge, I want to invite you into a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. To pursue wisdom, but also to pursue relationship. To bend the knee in prayer and to ask God to show you, to intervene. And to look over the horizon and to see what God might be doing behind the scenes. The where is the wind blowing in your life? And maybe it's something that you didn't expect at all. And you didn't see it because you're so focused on principles and ideas. But God's doing something new. And He's calling you to get on board with Him and to walk with Him in that. I want to invite you in faith to take that step. So Lord, meet us today. We are many people gathered here, each unique. And you are big enough to know each one of us and the circumstances of each of our lives. And so we now invite you to speak to our hearts, to call us into a deeper walk with you, to move us beyond wisdom in some ways. We love wisdom, but we also don't want to make an idol of wisdom. Lord, to move by your Spirit as the wind blows in our midst. To call us into greater relationship with you, greater healing of our brokenness, greater mission and vision for our lives, um, greater transformation of our communities and our neighborhoods, greater transformation in our families. Lord, call us into all of that as we bend the knee and invite you, Holy Spirit, to move. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.